This is the School Success Podcast, a podcast for school leaders to learn from other school leaders what's working and what's not, and to get inspiration and encouragement, as well as strategies to grow school enrollment, connect with families, retain teachers, recruit teachers, and everything in between. You guys are heroes, and I cannot thank you enough for pouring into this next generation that's coming behind us. My goal is you will take at least one thing away from every episode that you can take back to your school to make it better than it is right now. Please enjoy the School Success Podcast. Hey, School Success Makers. Today, we're joined by my new friend, Richard Mills, who is just a hop, skip, and a jump away way over in the great country of Australia. So I know you guys are going to, of course, love his voice way better than mine because it does sound pretty good, of course. All right. But we talk about some really cool things. He's doing some really cool things. I learn a lot from him, and I know you guys will as well. So please enjoy this next episode of the School Success Podcast. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the School Success Podcast. I'm your host, Mitchell Slater, joined by a new friend all the way across the ocean in beautiful Melbourne, Australia, Mr. Richard Mills. And this guy has an amazing, amazing background, especially in education and some of the media side of things that we're going to dive into on today's episode. But some of the things he's currently doing, guys, he's the director of Studio Moguls. He is the director of Digital Schools. He's co-founder of Kindbox.com, as well as co-founder of upschool.co which we'll dive into that one as well because it's a really cool thing him and his his best mate gavin are doing and i've had him on the podcast a few months back he's an awesome guy he's got obviously a great accent for all you americans that are listening to this episode which i know majority of our listeners are americans so you're going to be just drawn to him probably more than my voice on today's episode so i won't take any of his thunder away from him richard mills welcome to the podcast sir thanks mitch lovely to be here Man, it's going to be a fun one today, man. So I would love, as we dive into today's episode, would you just share just kind of your story? I think uh, you have a, well, actually, I always do this before I jump in. I, I think, well, let's do this first. Flip it around on you. If I was to ever visit Melbourne, Australia, what are we going to do for fun, Richard? What's the thing you're like, Mitchell, you got to do this when you come to Melbourne, Australia? Well, the first thing I'd probably ask you is if you're into sports. And I'll make that the first question. Do you like sports? Melbourne, Australia oh, is the sporting capital of the world, I think you could say. So uh, there's always something going on here from a sporting scene. We've got an amazing, renowned for an amazing cultural scene as well. The arts program is incredible. There's laneways, there's coffee shops, it's a culturally diverse city. It's a beautiful city. If you step out just outside of the city a little bit, there's, there's beautiful mountains and, and valleys and so much to see on the natural side, some amazing beaches. It can be cold in our winter and our summers can be very hot so we get the extremes but it's a really interesting place i think that when people think australia they certainly think sydney first and they would generally think melbourne second and melbourne and sydney have a unspoken rivalry i think you could say and i think both places are beautiful but i think melbournians and sydney siders would say that the melbournia people are the most friendly <laughs> so that's the other thing so if you come to melbourne you'll probably be greeted with a smile Man, well, you would you would be correct. I, when I think of Australia, I do think of Sydney first, and more than anything, and then I do think of Melbourne. So you are a okay right on that. And would you say your biggest sport, soccer or rugby? What's like the big one over there? Neither of those two. <laughs> Neither of those two. We have <laughs> AFL, Australian Football League, which is our our big national sport. That's right. So, yeah. So there's the Sydney Swans who I don't know whether you're any of listeners over there know the Sydney Swans, but they're probably the the most well-known team in the country, obviously, because they have the name Sydney in it. So within the actual, you know, within our country, they're not necessarily the biggest team, but outside of the country, I think if anyone that's followed the AFL might know the Sydney Swans. <laughs> okay. All right. I love And I haven't, so maybe I need to follow. I have watched one game of the Australian football because it came on TV and I looked at it and I was like, what is that? And I was, my friend was watching it and he, he's like, oh, it's, it's Australian football. I'm pretty sure because it's like a circle field, correct? An oval. Or something. Yeah. An oval. Yes. Okay. So it was like, it threw me off and I was like, what am I watching? But I thought it was really cool what you guys are doing. But I wish everybody just played the same type of like 
American football in a way because then we could like go play Australia and Australia could come play us. But maybe we yeah, should just yeah. all learn how to play Australian football. Yeah, yeah, didn't happen that well, way. But, uh, I am. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm stoked to have you on today. And before we dive in, I would love for you to just kind of share your story. I know I, you and I talked before we started recording, so I know you know a little bit of your background, but I think it'll resonate with some of the listeners on the podcast today. Just kind of sharing your story of how you got to where you are today. Yeah, sure. So I probably could start with where I am today and then I'll jump back to how that actually happened. So I guess my, the main project I'm working on at the moment is a project called Upschool, upschool.co. And we're an education platform. So I'll put a pin there and I'll go all the way back to probably my late teens. You know, probably from, you know, sort of 15 onwards, I was very much interested in self-growth, in development. There's a couple of photos of my bedroom when I was a teenager. It would have been around 15, 16, 17. And it was, it was pretty much like all of the walls were plastered in motivational quotes. <laughs> I, would, I had a footy coach at the time. His name was Pete Weston, and he was very much into self-development as well. And he used to give us kids at the time, he'd print out like little motivational quotes, like stuff that he thought would help us be inspired to play well on the weekend. But I mean, looking back now, we were young at that stage. He was more a father figure or as much of a father figure as anything. And I used to keep these quotes and put them on my wall. I don't think there was too many people that did that, but I would keep them and I'd stick them on my wall. And then it became a bit of a, a bit of a thing for me to, I guess, read as much literature as I can around goal setting and, you know, all this sort of traditional style, you know, how to be a better person. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do even when I left school. I really had no grip on what I wanted to do with my life. And I have a, like a long line of teachers in my family. And that just seemed to be the obvious place to go because it was familiar. And so I did a teaching degree and I went out and taught and I probably in fairness only lasted a couple of years as a real teacher. <laughs> Although I was in the system for nine years, I was two years as a, a full-time teacher, teaching in the classroom, teaching grade three, fours, so, you know, 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 10, 11-year-olds. And I had a, a child at, at 24, and it was around this time that I was also, I was trying to be a property developer. I thought that's what I wanted to do with my life. So I was buying and renovating and subdividing and developing some properties in my early 20s. And the very first place I bought, an interesting story. I'm in Australia, and what we call over the ditch, is New Zealand and uh, I flew over to New Zealand and bought my very first property in, that I'd ever bought and that was in New Zealand in another country which is quite a, a random thing to do for the the grand sum of thirty three and a half thousand Australian dollars <laughs> which is not a lot of money <laughs> for a house and I managed a renov renovation from back in Australia and sold it and I didn't lose money I didn't make much money but I didn't lose money and that kind of gave me a bit of a taste of okay so this is like a different way to, a, to approach a, a career. And then, yeah, a couple more deals here in Australia. But I just kind of, you know, like it, it, around this time, I'd, I'd had a child. And the property developing wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. I just knew in my heart that whilst it was a bit of a thrill, it was quite stressful because I, I was well and truly out of my depth. <laughs> and uh, I put it to the side a little bit and focused on being a dad. I was mostly a stay-at-home dad. I mean, for at least three days a week anyway. And I really enjoyed that. And I was still teaching for a couple of days a week. I was running the IT program at the school I was working in. So preps to, to year sixes, which are in our country, five-year-olds to 12-year-olds. That's primary school, elementary school, I think you guys call it. And I was teaching them computers. And uh, I really enjoyed that because I was always into media. I was always into creating things. I've always been very, I guess, creatively minded. I love to sort of build things and put things together and design and do all these things. And I was practicing this from throughout my, you know, my days teaching there. And I guess it was a, a really, I guess, it was a genuine sort of symbiotic relationship between me wanting to learn something and the children learn, learning something as well. So we were doing stop motion animations and green screening and building websites and doing all these really cool things. And I was doing this with kids who were, you know, five, six, seven year olds up, upwards, which was getting a lot of attention in the, in the little district that I was teaching in as well, because there was these really small kids doing really interesting things. And it was just genuinely because I wanted to learn it myself. It was quite selfish. 
<laughs> Although it was obviously fun passing that information on to the children. And I guess it was around about this time where we started to, I wanted to build a little studio at the school and I think we'd bought a green screen but we didn't have proper camera equipment and there was a school concert coming up and that was happening outside of the division that I work in and my business brain was ticking. I'm like, these school concerts, I reckon the parents would want to watch this on DVD. So I thought, maybe what I'll do is I'll go to the principal, I'll ask him if, he, if he'll let me buy a, school, buy a camera for the school, which would cost about $1,000, and then film the concert, and then sell the DVDs to the parents to pay for the camera, so then the IT lab, which I was running, had a decent video camera. So I went and pitched it to him and he's like, no problems, Millsy, you do whatever you need to do, you got my support. So I'm like, beauty. So I went over to the department store that afternoon and started shopping around for cameras, a little, just a little handy cam, like it really wasn't a very good camera, but it was good enough. And we bought something that was like $1,200 or something like that and brought it back. I had no idea how to use it. And then the concert came up, I think it was the next week. And, you know, there's like 250, 300 people behind me and the kids are up on stage and, and here I am here with my little camera, no tripod, in the aisle with my kneeling down with my hand under the thing and like holding a camera like this, filming concert and I was like, and I didn't know any better. I just thought that's the way that you do it. And anyway, one of the parents came up to me into the show and he said, tapped me on the shoulder. He said, oh, Richard, had the filming go? He's, he was being nice. And I said, yeah, it was really, it was good. Yeah, it went all well. And and I had to say that this is the company line because these guys had bought DVDs, like the money was coming in. They were buying the DVDs for 10 bucks. So I had to tell them it was a good quality product. Even if it wasn't, I had to tell them it was. So he's like, oh, look, I noticed you didn't have a tripod. I said, no, nah, I doesn't need it. Like, I'm, you know, I've got a pretty stable hand, you know, like I'm pretty fit, you know, I can hold it still. And he's like, oh, I reckon you should try it with a tripod. And I guess the a big piece of me inside said, I don't need your help and I'm really embarrassed because I don't know what I'm doing and I'm going to pretend I know what I'm doing. So I said, no, nah, no, nah, it's fine. But he kind of just was nice and he persisted. I said, all right, I'll try the tripod tomorrow night. So I ate my humble pie and then I had the tripod the next night and that night I filmed it and I didn't have to like use it, my arm for an hour and a half to try and hold it still and I just moved it around and, and it was much easier. And then I kind of worked out that this is actually not that hard. Like it's just a camera and a tripod and I'm just moving it around and scanning it across the audience and focusing on the kids and it didn't seem that hard and went to the principal after the show and I said, look, does anyone else do this for a business? Have you ever been approached to do this? He said, no, I've never heard of anyone that does this. And I thought, that's what I might do. I might start a little production business and start filming school concerts. So within a couple of months, I engaged a web developer or like a company that could actually do it a bit more professionally than what I was doing it in, uh, in our computer lab and build a website. And that was the start of a production business that I built that I ran all the way up until about four months ago when I sold it. So that ran for, you know, sort of 12 or 13 years. And I worked really hard on that in its initial period when I built it. This is back in 2010, I think it was. Started off doing these school concerts and then I moved into weddings and then we started doing some corporate stuff. And then around 2015, we went over to India and set up our own post-production company over there where we would do all the editing because we had like a, you know, like I had like an Australia-wide production company running. We were booking jobs all over the country and I was sending contractors out and had all these, you know, people doing all these jobs in this business and we got probably got a little bit too big for, I guess, what we were able to keep up with here in Australia. We couldn't get the editing talent. So we went over there, we built a company over there and, and that's been running for six years and that's amazing. That's one of our greatest assets because these guys are just incredible, highly talented editors and dedicated to the job. And yeah, I mean, we run that and, and off the back of that, I guess I grew a little agency and we started to, you know, we started to attract some corporate clients who needed marketing and production and sort of strategy advice. So we picked up a couple of clients. One of our clients was actually the AFL, which is the sport that we were talking about at the very start. They hired they hired me to do this sort of big national-wide marketing package, which was really cool. And off the back of that, that's where I built the next business, Digital Schools. And Digital Schools kind of came about because like I was building these businesses on the side and I still had this sort of relatively strong network in education. People, you know, I still have friends there. 
and they were watching me do all these things and a couple of them were asking me for help and and I would sort of, you know, push them away and say, no, look, I don't really want to come back into education. I'm doing other things. And genuinely at that point in my life, it was around, you know, 20, late 2016, like I was, I was going through, I guess you could say some type of initiative self, again, back into the self-development and like I'm having like, I guess, a spiritual revolution in my own mind, I guess you could say. And I really wanted to change the world. Uh, when I was 24 and I was a property developer, I wrote down that the coach that I was working with at the time, he, he got us to all write, write down what is it that, you know, why are you doing this? Like, why do you want to be a property developer? And if you write down because you want to make money, then don't write that down, write something else. Like, don't write down because you want to make money. And we all wanted to write down we want to make money, but we weren't allowed to write that. So he just he said, don't write that one, write something else. So that forced me to think deeper. And what I ended up writing down, it took probably a month or two, or I can't remember, it didn't happen straight away, but I wrote down I want to be a philanthropist, <laughs> whatever that means. I roughly knew what it meant. And then fast forwarding back to 2016, that's where... You know, like I'd build up these businesses, which were doing pretty well. And I thought maybe this is about the time where I can start giving back and be that thing that I wanted to be when I was 22, 23, 24, which was a philanthropist, someone that gave away money and, and did good in the world. And I didn't see education coming back in, into education and helping schools with their marketing and their videos and all of that. I didn't see that as the vehicle to, to change the world, which was what I was trying to do. And then I sat on it for a couple of months, sat on it a little bit more, and I got a couple more people just kept hassling me, and it kind of dawned on me that it was around the time of the 2016 presidential elections when Donald Trump was, was getting into power, and I'd watch the way that he'd be, without, wanting, without trying, doing my best not to have a political alliance, I'd watch a very controversial figure, I think that would be fair to say. People either like him or they don't, or love him or they hate him, depending on which language you want to use. But he was able to manage the message and manage the media and get his, get his voice out there in a way where he got enough people to support him when there was probably some, some things that were being said about him that were not so favourable. But he was managed to sort of somehow twist it around into something that didn't really affect the bigger picture that he was on. And that's when it kind of dawned on me that he's just very good at managing the media. Or one of the things he's good at is managing the media and managing the story and managing the message and getting people to buy in. And that really fascinated me. And that got me thinking about what a school website could be and what school communication could be. It was a direct correlation to what was happening here in your play in the US presidential elections. I'm like... I'll build digital schools and I rang up my mate who, he was one of the primary people who, who was hassling me to come and help him with his school marketing. I said, I'll do it, but this is the conditions. We're going to build a website. We're going to fill it with all the content, all the sales stuff that you need, but it's going to be a vehicle primarily to share positive, inspiring and educational messages with the community. It's going to be more than a thing that's just going to share with you, with your community about why you're great. And how you do a great literacy program and a great numeracy program and your arts program is amazing and you've got all these sports success stories. That's great, but that's not what it that's not what it can be. It can be more than that. It can be a media channel. This like this could be a media company. And with every media company, whether you're Fox News or CNN or whatever, you get to pick the communication that you want to go in there based on your beliefs. And that's why digital school started. I thought, I'm going to start this, and then I'm going to fill it from my office, along with their content, but from our office, I'm going to fill their websites with content that we believe in, and that they believe in too. So stuff around mindfulness, and well-being, and in, you know, like kindness, and in, in, inclusivity, and all of these sort of concepts that I'm really passionate about are getting into the world. So Digital Schools was really built to do that. It wasn't so much to tell schools or help schools... It wasn't primarily built to help schools market themselves better. It's primarily built to change minds, shape hearts, and inspire people to do good in the world through the school website, which is a trusted form of communication. So that's digital schools. And off the back of that came UpSchool, which is the project I'm working on now that I referenced at the start. Man, love the story. And so obviously there's two things that I want to kind of unpack a little bit. So 
you have this obviously digital schools and you saw a need and these schools obviously had needs specifically i know in australia that you were dealing with and you came with this this media push that they probably hadn't seen before i'm assuming or have been approached by other companies that do it before so how was the reception from the schools were they coming to you for something because they had heard about it from another school that was doing it or were you talking to them and they're like like, oh, yeah, that sounds like I need a commercial for my school. I need a video for my website. Like, how did that teaching them and bringing them into that digital age work? It's another interesting story. And in business, as you would know, it's a long, slow grind. And there's not many days where you, in a sporting analogy, where you get to hold the premiership, the, the trophy up and say, you, you know, you won the premiership or you, you won the title. Uh, but this particular week when I started digital schools, that was... I probably had three of them across my journey running businesses, but that week where I launched Digital Schools officially was one of those weeks where I felt as though I stood on the podium and won the title. So the backstory to that is, you know, my mate actually, his name's Paul, and he was one of the ones that I've referenced in that story that was wanting me to come and help him with his school to grow his enrollments and engage his community and do all these things. And grow his enrollments was his primary motive and I pushed him away for quite some time but what I, what we did do like we, we had some conversations and what I did do is I created a 20 minute sort of film about four months before I said yes to him because he was getting me a little bit closer like I was warming to the idea but it was still anyway I just sat down one night and I created this 20 minute like this is what it could be and I recorded it I uploaded it to our Vimeo channel and left it there and then we just kept having conversations. I kept putting it to the side and, you know, it was like, probably not. Like, you know, it's a nice idea, but probably not. But then uh, I'll never forget this night. I was, it was an idle Tuesday night and it was 10.30 p.m. at night. And I was doing what I was just on the couch, I think. And an email came in on my phone. I checked my email. I got an email. It was 10.30. And it was an email from a guy that I used to, it was a principal of a school that, from many, many, many years back. I hadn't spoken to him for quite some years, but he emailed me because he knew I was building, he was running these business, he knew I was running these businesses. He said, G'day Millsy, how are you going? Haven't spoken in a while. Just wondering whether we can chat to you about getting a promo video made for our school. I'm like, how do I respond to this? <laughs> this is like random. So I, I sat on it for probably three minutes and I thought, I'm going to send him the video and just see what happens. So I went to the YouTube channel, dug it out, copied the link, pasted it and sent it. It went for 20 minutes and I held my breath. I didn't know what, I didn't know what to think, but I was just like, I held my breath. 23 minutes later, I got an email back in. I need to speak to you tomorrow morning. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Next morning comes, it's 8.30, he's on the phone probably spoke to him for an hour. And by this stage, I was excited because I'm like, this is now someone else. And this is the first person I've given like this big concept to. Because it was everything that I thought it could be. It wasn't just like, here's a video, here's a website. It was like my whole dream, you know, to the point that I could see right then. And I knew within that first 20 minutes of speaking to him, I had him. And I'd even sort of, I'm pretty sure I had in the price as well, like what it would cost, and that didn't seem to be a problem. I'm like, okay, so here's another one. So I already had like, I definitely had two. I had my mate school, and I had him as a yes, but that still wasn't enough to get me over the line because I was like doing other stuff. So I rang my mate up. I said, "You never guess what happened? This is like 9:35, you know." Like, as soon as I got off the phone to Mick, I rang up Paul. I said, "Paul, you never guess what happened?" He's like. Whatever. So I told him, I said, oh, I've got another school, but I don't really want to do it anyway, but I've got another school. <laughs> I said, he's like, come on, you've got to do this. You've got to do it. I'm like, all right, if you can get me five schools, I'm, I'll do it. It's five schools paying this much money and I'll do it. So he's like, leave it with me. Within probably two weeks, he booked me about seven meetings and we'd hyped it up. We'd made this big, like, presentation and you know like this 10 page document and that all sorts of stuff and and uh, anyway it was all like this is capped at five spots no more than five spots this is a pilot and if you don't get the like i really sold some urgency about it 
Because it was genuinely going to be capped because I didn't think I'd be able to execute because there's quite, there's a lot of manual labor involved in this. It's not like an automated thing that I was building. It was like on the ground working. Anyway, I had seven meetings in that week, seven meetings in the week. I went from one school to the other and seven out of seven said yes. And I got to wow. the end of that week. Every single one of them said yes on the spot. They committed. It was like three or four times more than what they've ever paid for a marketing package. And they all said yes without any question. And I'm like, I think my life's just changed. <laughs> and I don't drink anymore. But I picked up a, I think I picked up a bottle of wine and I drove over to his place because he helped me in this process. And I said, it's happening. <laughs> I, the, my life's just changed. And we'd sold like seven, I'd sold seven packages at like a dollar amount more than what I'd, you know, what I'd sell most stuff for in all my other businesses. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> everything's just changed. So yeah, that's the backstory to how it all sort of happened. And, you know, we got those first seven over the line. And from then over the last few years, it's just grown steadily. Like I don't do any marketing of it. It just organically, we just pick up clients. I don't do any marketing of it because I'm focused on the other projects, which is where my focus always is. So it still happens. It's still a thing, but you know, I guess it's not my primary focus these days, although it gets my primary focus because essentially it's a funding vehicle for this new project. So we absolutely look after it. Like it's a, the most important thing in the world and make sure these clients are really happy because they're really helping us take this next step along the journey. So. Love it. And so what these schools agreed to, those seven schools on the spot when you were starting this, was just a video promo or was there like a whole package that they were agreeing to at one spot that you were going to do for them? Yeah. So essentially I'll give you the short version of what it is that they, I'll give you the short version of what it is that they get now. Like what we pitched back then was not entirely that, but now they get, we come in, we rebuild their website, we take brand new photos. We spend a couple of days on site shooting video of all the different key areas around the school, shooting like the principal, the teachers, parents, children, all the different curriculum areas. So I run all of those interviews with all of those key people, extract the information out of them that we need to be able to create content that we think is going to resonate with the families. Another filmmaker in the school going through all the classrooms getting all the, what we call the B-roll shots, so the overlay shots, the kids actually doing what the what we know that the parents, the, the, sorry, the teachers and the children are gonna be talking about. So when a teacher's talking about, you know, we do literacy and the kids do their reading, there's a filmmaker in the school, like shooting shots of kids reading. There's a, there's a formula to it. So most of the time we get all, all the shots that we need, you know, just from knowing roughly what they're going to say in advance. And then we put all of that on this new website that we've built. We put all these teaser videos, across the website. We want to say teaser videos, they're short snippet videos of all of the longer form videos and all of the longer form videos sit behind an email paywall, I guess you'd say. So we call it an online tour. So the parents register for the online tour and with the online tour, they get drip fed across a couple of months, all of the videos that we've created, the longer form videos we've created. So we can have that long-term conversation with, uh, with the families, you know, across a couple of months. And really nice call to action in there. And, you know, I guess just really, just a really nice message and really nice delivery in terms of the way it's all presented. And it's very conversational. It's as authentic as we can and try not to get them to plan or script anything. And I guess the skill is asking the right questions, which I know you know how to do Mitch, cause you, you know, you ask the right questions, you get the right answer that you need. And then, yeah, we cut it all into these videos and we stick them all in sort of the back end, and then they get drip fed through emails across a couple of months. And so there's that. And in addition to that, we've got another part of the platform, which is all educational content as well. And that's educational content with their school. So we sit down with their teachers and we create sort of how-to videos. So like in that particular section of their website, you know, if you watch a two minute video on that part of the website, then you've learned something that you can apply at home with your child. For example, how to help your child develop their fine motor skills how to help your child become number aware, how to help your child do their fractions, whatever. You know, the school identifies all of these like key little areas that they want to get communication from an educational context, not a sales context. And that's it. sits in a whole other section. And then obviously we write content as well. And then we remotely 
loaded onto their platforms as well. So that's essentially what they get now. And they got most of that when we started, but there was a few moving parts that we were building that they didn't get up front. So that's the short okay. answer to what, what it is that we do for them. Well, you're not kidding. That is a ton of work, a ton of time, feet on the ground work to get those interviews, to take that footage and have it edited and then publish it. That is like, you weren't kidding. I was like, oh man, I wonder what he's doing. Like, yep, that's a lot of work for sure. So I, and it's so valuable. So that's like going into like the next question with the valuable. So for the audience that's listening again, mainly the United States listeners at the moment for as we, as we are filming this, but the, they're listening and I'm sure it's kind of resonating with them. So how, what would you tell them? So like, if they have not embraced media in this capacity before for like videos and having somebody come in and take professional photos, professional, do all that. Like, what would you kind of talk to them, talk them through where to start and why it's valuable and kind of, you know, I'm a big proponent of video. I think it's again, super valuable, professional pictures, super valuable. So, but I'd love to hear it come from you since you've done this specifically with school so that you can speak directly to them. Yeah, I think that you just have to put yourself in the shoes of a parent. Put yourself in your own shoes to begin with. When we're on the internet today, it's very, very difficult to find a bad website today. Unless you're searching for something niche, very, very niche, then, you know, like if you do a general Google search on something, you're only going to get the good websites at the top. You're only going to find the good websites. Like Google is not promoting to the top bad websites. Google knows what a good website and a bad website is. Then knows the difference because, you know, they can just see how long people spend there. So they're pushing the good websites to the top. So it's very difficult. You don't see many bad websites anymore. But what I noticed about schools is there's a lot of schools that have bad websites. It's just one of those areas that's been a long, it's, it's taking a long time to catch up. And schools, the way I see it, it's like, it's, it's an essential service. It's an essential service and schools have been able to get away with just having a website which is not that amazing because geographically, like you're in the middle of the community and you're going to always get children come to your website, uh, come to your school. I mean, I know it's still a competitive landscape for enrollments, but there's always going to be an influx because, you know, there's always going to be that family that's going to send their child to that school regardless of their website. And the other thing I want to say is the website is not a reflection of the quality of the school. I have to say that. And the, my best, I gave many examples of that, but my best example of that is like when we, for the first two or three years, and probably even today, four years on, the worst school website that we took over was probably the best school that we, that we took over as well in terms of how advanced they were in what they were doing. So absolutely like, you know, in firm belief that the website is not a reflection of the school in all cases, but it, it can be. I think we, I'll use another story. So my brother, my brother called me up a couple of years ago and his son was three at the time. And he rang me up and he said, I've just jumped on all of the websites because he knew I'd started digital schools. I've just jumped on all of the websites in our area. And I'm really worried. I don't think there's a school I want to send Sam to. I said, what are you talking about? He's like, all of their websites, they're terrible. Like if that's what their website looks like, then that's got to be a reflection of the school, right? And I'm like, Bernie, chill out. Not necessarily, you know, like schools just haven't caught up with this. But he didn't want, he would have seen 10 school websites in that night or two that him and his wife thought they would get around and start working out where they're going to send their son. And his gut feel was none of the schools were suitable for his son, purely based on the website. So that's one example that a school just needs to take that in. And I've, I've told this story a million times and I've never had a principal not understand that. They are, everyone knows that. I think every, certainly in our country, everyone, all the principals that I speak to know that it's the first impression. So I also ask people to put yourself in your own shoes. So when you go to a website that's not up to scratch and you know what a good website is and what a bad website is, but when you do have to land on one that's not that great now, what is the psychology in your brain? What are you thinking about that business? I know what I'm thinking. I'm thinking if they can't spend the small amount of money to get their website up and running, 
they're not a very professional organization. That's what I'm thinking. So I go and generally, unless I really need their product because it's so niche, I'll go to a, you know, I'll go to another website where it is good. But again, it's just, that happens less and less because it's hard to find the bad websites now because they literally disappear off Google search engines. So that's the importance of it. The second piece is the media. You only have to look at the way that videos moved in the last, I don't know, 10 years, but certainly the last five and you know, like all of the new social media platforms or some of the new social media platforms, TikTok is like 100% video, basically. It's just the way that we engage now. Video is one way that we engage. It's very important. It's not the be all and end all because there's sometimes that you want to read. There's sometimes that you want to watch. There's sometimes you want to listen. And everyone, that's my own, the way that I interact with the web, but everyone's different. Some people will just watch. Some people will just read. But... Gone are the days where you can have a one-size-fits-all approach. That's what I would say. This is the important. Gone are the days where you can get away with having a one-size-fits-all approach if you want to do well in business. You have to understand that some people want to watch a video, some people want to read, some people want to listen. There's so many different ways we can interact now. So what I would say is that offer something for everyone. Be as specific as you can. When it comes to a school, back to the school context, what we do at digital schools is the school might have eight different curriculum areas that they focus on. We don't give them a 15 minute video with the eight areas in that video because that would be awful. That'd be an awful experience for a parent. I'm a parent, my daughter's nearly 17. I can't remember what she was into when she was really young, but let's say she was into the arts and she hated sport. If I'm a parent coming to a website looking for a school I would want to be able to get there really quickly, really easily, and say, there's the video on the arts program. Not come to a website and see one big video with like 15 minutes and hope that I'm going to find something on the arts. It's too much of a risk. It's too much of a risk of my time to watch a 15 minute video to know, to know whether I'm gonna get what I want out of it. But if I can just say, there's the arts, there's numeracy, because I want my child to be good at maths. There's science, because I want my child to... There's phys ed. Or, in the case of our schools here, like I do a lot of religious schools, Catholic schools. Here's the religious video, the religious education video. Now, a lot of families send their children to school, but they're not of religion. And they're worried that they're going to be indoctrinated in a religion. So let's put a video there of religious education so they can watch a two-minute video and see how it's handled in the school. And then once they learn that it's not about indoctrinating children, certainly in the schools that I work in, it's not about indoctrinating children in a religion, it's about teaching them the values that the religion teaches, all of a sudden, all of the fear's gone and people feel they can enroll their child in that school. So it's like, how specific can you get? Video's a great way to do that. And you know, you get to get straight to the point. And the other thing that, the other analogy I used to say is that when I'm sitting in there, I used to go into the office for the pre-COVID, it was like, I'd have to go and have a meeting in the office. Post-COVID, you get to do it online now, it's so much better. But when I was selling it, I had to go to the office and I'd be sitting in their office and there's the principal there. And I'd turn around and I would say, you know, basically your website, see that what's going on over there, there's your filing cabinet and there's like all these books and binders and like thousands of documents. That's essentially your website sitting there. So when people come to your website, they're looking at your filing cabinet. It's all of your policies, all of your permission forms, all of these things that the psychology of a prospective parent, they don't care about that stuff. They don't care about your policies. They only care about your policies when something goes wrong and hopefully nothing will ever go wrong. So the likelihood of them ever needing to access your policy is so low. So why would you put that in one of the most valuable areas of your website on the homepage, all these policies. No, like bury that somewhere. On the most valuable real estate on your homepage, put the stuff that actually matters to a prospective family and think about what that is. And when you actually break that down, I just ask the parents, and I know the answer, but I ask the parents anyway, and they all tell me, what, what do you want for your child from this school? Every single one of them in different words, but it all comes back to, I just want my child to be happy. 
That's all the parents care about. So if that's what the parents care about, that's a really good starting point for the message that you lead with. If the parents want their child to be happy, put stuff about that. Not necessarily those words, but put stuff, reference this on your homepage in all the key areas. Not the policy on school uniform. I've never sat there with a parent and said, what do you want for your child from their school? Well, we really just want them to wear the right uniform. No one has ever said that. <laughs> so don't put that on the homepage or don't even like bury that in the website. I think you get my point. Like you got to think about like the most valuable parts of your website and like what you put there, but you got to get into the psychology of the people that are coming and why they're coming. So that's a long-winded answer, but hopefully there's something in there for someone. <laughs> Man, so lots. And I want to digest a little bit of it and talk it through. It's like you said a lot of things that we already tell our clients. So I love that we're on the same page with that. One of those is, yeah, like those, the bogus forms and things that are like, don't put that at the front of your website or the top of the website. We put it, we like to call it the junk drawer. So the very, very, very bottom of the website, if you have to have it on there, have a little button with a little link that opens up a PDF document or something. If you like put it in the junk drawer, because it's at the bottom of the site. And I am one of those people, uh, like your friend that you mentioned or your brother about how going to a website, oh my gosh, there's no place for my son to go. My wife and I did the same thing. We were looking at websites and I was like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know if these are good. Like, are they still open? Are they still a good school? Because like, I would hope that if they care about education, they would also care about their website, right? Like, and that's obviously not how they think. They're worried about loving and educating this next generation and marketing and digital is not really their thing, which is why I was even more so wanting to get into what I'm doing with, you know, like what you're doing, helping schools kind of come into that digital age and do something for them that they're not really great at. And they don't have a ton of expertise in. And uh, like the school my son does go to, funny enough, I won't mention their name, but it's because it's really funny. Like we, we enrolled with them and we went for the tour and I was like, are you guys already selling Christmas wreaths? It's March. And they're like, oh, no, it's been on there since Christmas time and we don't know how to take it off the website or whatever. And I was like, oh, okay. I thought you were just like pushing Christmas wreaths all year round. And then I went on to like the staff page and on the staff page, it had people had already been promoted in the last year and they were like the head of school was not, it was still listed as a teacher. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like it's a disaster of a website, but the school is solid. They love my son. They pour into like, so obviously there are amazing amazing schools with horrible websites of course that happens but that's why i want to showcase these these schools and make them either amazing schools that i want to also look amazing online as well make it a little easier for those people that are going to be like myself and your brother of like i'm not going to that school like we're going to not have that happen anymore for the schools that we do have so i love what you shared and i 100 percent agree with with all of it so i'm hoping all of those people that are uh, all the listeners right now, you're like, oh man, I need to hop on the media, the media ban bandwagon here and uh, get some videos going. And if you can't afford to hire a professional you know, company to come in and do it, like take your phone out and let's just start filming some videos and get something up there. Would you agree with that, Richard? Like at least get something up there if it's with your iPhone or Android versus not doing it at all? Well, absolutely. But if I, if I can just, maybe this might be a time to segue to UpSchool just briefly for a second because... This is what we're working on right now. So obviously UpSchool is its own thing. I'm not, I want to reference the point you just said then. So we've got a course on UpSchool, touching on this point you've just made. It's called The Good News. And essentially within this course, it's in pilot at the moment where we're five or six weeks into it and I'm building this course. We're actually empowering and training the students to generate the content from within the school. So it's basically built around the concept that we walk them through a bit of a journey. So in week one of the course, we talk about the science of kindness. So the chemicals that are released in the body when you see a random act of kindness, when you perform a random act of kindness, when a random act of kindness is performed on you, or as I said, you witness it from a distance. Three chemicals are released in your body, oxytocin, endorphins, and serotonin. There is three chemicals are all released in your body, and these are the feel-good hormones in your body. So within the course, we actually play we play a short video, a couple of short videos where they where they watch some random acts of kindness, and they then they got to write down how they felt about that, and then they're learning about that. Hey, like there's more happening to this beneath the surface than 
than what we understand. There's actually chemicals that have been released. And it's, as I said, like it happens, it's a three-way exchange. It's when you're the person performing. It's when someone performs it on you. Or when you just watch a video and it's happening. Or it happens there on the street. So knowing that. There's so many, and you said it, Mitch. There's so many amazing things happening in schools. Like schools are the most beautiful place, really. Like the people in school, and the, the reason I love being in education and like after working in corporate, like doing corporate type stuff, marketing and video and all this for, for corporates and then working in schools, it's just so much more pure. It's so much more beautiful. Everyone's so well-intentioned. Like it's not profit-driven, which it is out there. It's like, it's just nurturing. It's kind, it's loving. It's all the good stuff. So there's like dozens of amazing things happening in schools every day. And what we're doing, what we're training through this course, what we're training the schools to do and, and then the children within the schools to do is act as journalists so they can start showcasing these stories and putting them on the website as a different way to engage their community. So rather than the school having to generate all the content, why don't we tra train the students to create little videos, to take beautiful photos, to write amazing articles and upload those to the website? And this is what I can tell you. As a parent who's, my daughter's in year 11, she's been in school for six plus five, 11 years. For 11 years, the newsletter has come home. The seven, the 10, the 12 page document, slab, slabs of text. I have not read it once. <laughs> Not once. And they all know that. We don't read it. Every principal I've ever spoken to know that their parents don't read it. <laughs> but they'll still send it anyway. But what, what does happen is you scan it. I open it and I scan it. And the thing I look for is the pictures. Because I don't have time to read the seven paragraph welcome from the principal. It's just about... It's by and large nonsense. It's fluff. You know, like I know it's not nonsense to the principal, but if I wrote, and I'm guilty of it too, if I wrote a seven page update on what UpSchool or Digital School is doing and sent that every week, I know most people won't read it. Because like, this is my world and everyone's got their own busy world. It is important and there'll be a few people that read it. I'm saying no one reads it. There's certainly people that do read it, but the majority don't have the time for it. But what we do do is we scan. Everyone scans. And when you're looking for your child in a picture, if a child's in a picture, bang, screenshot, straight to mum, straight to dad, in the group chat, Max in the newsletter. Everyone's celebrating, Max in the newsletter. This is amazing. That's how you get the engagement, like a picture will do it. A picture tells a thousand words, as they say. So more pictures, like at the very simplest form, more pictures in the newsletter is great. Because parents will definitely scan and look for their child. I know, I've spoken to enough parents to know that this is true. This is not just my story. The next best thing, is like videos as well. Like, if the, imagine if the school was shooting a weekly video, but not the school shooting it, because no school has time to do this. Like, they're already up to their ears teaching and paperwork and all of this. But if the children, as part of their learning, when we get this into the curriculum as part of their media studies and all of this, like the children are just going around on a phone or an iPad or whatever and shooting videos, and then they happen to call past the principal's office doorstop the principal for a two-minute update on what's happening in the school. So rather than having those seven paragraphs of all that stuff, get the principal to say something, which goes for two minutes, and at the same time, there's all these other shots of the kids like doing their thing. Parents will watch that because there's a chance their child will be in it. And then the principal gets to get their message across in a different way. So that's we're re-engineering the way that school communication can happen and the way I see it, if you've got 300 children in the school, I don't see that as 300 children. I see that as 300 journalists. <laughs> I see that as 300 stories a week that could get uploaded to the website if a school really wanted to do that. We're not trying to get 300 a week, by the way. That's an exaggeration. But if we empower, which we're doing, student media teams, so a leadership team within the school, the kids that really want to be the YouTubers, the kids that really want to do that media stuff, let's empower them to create a video every week or every fortnight. Let's empower them to know how to take an amazing photo. Let's empower the amazing writers to write a beautiful article. Let's empower the amazing speakers 
to go and interview a child, ask some really nice questions, try and extract the information like you're doing now, Mitch. You know this is a learnt skill, like to conduct a successful interview and be a good listener, an active listener. Like this is an essential skill. We don't just get born with it. Like you've got to practice it. And I'm doing all the talking at the moment, but I'm often on the other end doing all the listening. It's a skill. And then you've got to follow up with a nice question. Teach the children this, because these are the skills of tomorrow. And at the same time, we get all the engagement we want and we get the eyeballs back on the, in a way that will resonate with today's parent. And if we also cross that with good news, when we see the child that's new to the school and doesn't know anyone, and we see the three kids go over there, say, I'm going to adopt that child for the next week to make sure that they feel comfortable in this school. And another kid notices that and writes an article on it. It goes on the website. Everyone feels good. There's a child that fell over, blood everywhere. Another child comes off the playground, gives up their lunchtime, takes the child to sick bay, supports them, puts their arm around them. Someone takes a photo of it, gave up kicking the footy with their friends. That goes on the website. Everyone feels good. That's what we can do. And that's what I'm passionate about, as you can probably see. I'll stop talking. <laughs> Bro, so I didn't even know that. So this is, you're going to love this because I can't remember if I mentioned this to you when we first first chatted. We just launched a service for schools. We haven't even like really publicized it because I wanted to test it out and see how it went. So we have two pilot schools that are that have like love, love, loved it and we're, are so excited about it. We've called it School Influencers. And it's where currently I'm coming in once a month, coaching these students, a group of students on how to manage and run the school social media and taking videos, awesome. pictures and content writing. And I've assembled yeah, yeah. the teams and I've like the first call I was like, Hey, you're going to be the content writer. You're going to be the photographer. Just trying to figure out what it's going to look like. Because one of the things we used to offer, I mean, we offer schools is like managing their social media for them. But yeah. I quickly realized we're only as good as the school helps us be because I got to get photos from you. I got to get content from you. And so we'd have a lot of schools. They weren't sending us content because they're busy doing what they're doing. So I was like, well, now I have to use templated pictures and content and it's boring and it, nobody's going to look at it and share it. So I was like, how do I fix that? And the only way I discovered to fix it, I was like, oh my gosh, they have little marketers that are all in these schools, hundreds of them, you know, how can I empower them to take ownership of their school? And that's when School Influencers was born. And so we're testing it out. So I'm like, I know I could learn a ton from you for this is, you know, the students loved it. When I hopped on that first call, they were excited. They were smiling. They're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to help my school put content out there. And I'm like, oh, this is something I can get behind. Like I got super excited because I love kids and it was just like, I get to teach and coach kids how to do like media. Like, oh my gosh, sign me up. So the biggest thing we've run into, and since you're doing this and you've done this, where do, who do you so this is what we're currently doing and i'd love your feedback and what you're doing is we have like an elected one teacher to kind of be like the head of it and so they're reviewing content they're helping the kids when they have like random questions and anything else gets sent to me what are you guys doing for like quality control making sure like something inappropriate doesn't get posted out there something is checked for grammar check for things of course yeah you know you you know know what i'm talking about that aren't going to suddenly get out there because no adult was to look at it how are you guys kind of teaching schools to manage that yeah so it, it falls back to the school and every school will be different in the way that they manage that process so well i mean a couple of things we are doing we've got a platform that they can post to which sits as part of their school website and we're redeveloping that that piece of software at the moment so you know children will be able to upload it but essentially, like it'll fall back to the school to have an approval process in place. We've got sort of, we haven't built this yet, but this is all sort of in the pipeline, is that we'll have sort of multi-level access to it. And there might be a parent. They might just give it to a parent to just check. Or there might be a teacher. Or it might be a really responsible student. So it's certainly not open to everyone in the school to post. No, like it's not to that level. It's the school. And what I have found is that working in schools for nine years and then as a teacher and then back in working back in education and in schools again for the last four years with digital schools is that there's a bunch of kids in the school that you'd, you'd trust with anything like they're the responsible ones that they will never let you down like the, you just know they would never let you down they're as responsible as one of your teachers they take their job very seriously if you give them a job and yeah I think it's a local decision. All, all schools have different 
levels of, what would you say, tolerance to risk. And for some schools, they're not going to worry about spelling mistakes being on and grammatical errors because as long as it's written, this is like a student article, like we forgive that. Like on the UpSchool platform, we were looking at this yesterday. On the UpSchool platform, we've got an online digital library, children writing books about the most beautiful things, about helping homeless people and spreading kindness and all of this. They're writing these books, they're uploading it. And we were reading it yesterday because we're going to print out a bunch of them and create a bundle, like a, you know, a bundle of the best ones and, and have the, we're going to send those to a couple of people. And we were reading them and we actually really liked the ones that had the spelling mistakes in them because it just really showed that it's actually written by a kid. Like it reinforces it's written by a child. The ones that, there were some ones in there that we could see a parent or a teacher had definitely got their hands on that. It's amazing, but you'd know that the child wouldn't write those words. So it's just like, it loses it. So just having that sort of rawness, that child, you know, sort of slant on it. There's some spelling mistakes. I think that makes it more beautiful, to be fair. And I do agree with that because I think I resonate more with content online that is organic and natural. And it's not nothing against obviously like professional video, like what you're talking about. Like there is a place mm. for that, of course, in professional photos. But man, when you have like an organic photo that is just a vertical video from an iPhone that the principal talking about what's coming up or somebody like you kind of are drawn to that because it's it's on your level. It's like, oh, right. this is just uh, the principal talking about the day. And so I think that the content that the students can help make those like people will watch it people will look at it and they're going to be my goal and what these two schools that are trying it are loving is like they want the community to know that they're giving these kids these ownership like hey that's their school we're letting them take ownership of it by mm -hmm. posting content and they want the community to know about that to go oh nobody's doing that like that's not a thing here in the united states like of like the letting the students like both of these are middle schoolers middle schools that are doing this so like sixth seventh and eighth grade you know, so you got like these 11, 12, 13 year olds that are helping with content, but they know their stuff. They know that stuff already. So let's give them yeah. some ownership, give them some opportunity to make mistakes yeah. and learn something that they can use yeah. later in life. That's exactly right. Like what you just said there, make mistakes. Like that is what a school is there for. It's a platform for children to come and make mistakes. That's what a ed good education system should be. It's a safe space to make mistakes. I mean, life should be a safe place, every workplace should be a safe place to make mistakes, but a school especially should be a safe place to make mistakes and totally support that. Totally support that. Love it, dude. Love it. Well, as we kind of, I think, look to wrap up here shortly, I would love you to just give me a little bit, tell me a little bit more about UpSchool and let the audience know a little bit about more about UpSchool and how they could potentially get involved or be a part of it if there's a way of for them to be able to do that. But I want to make sure everybody's aware of what what all you guys are doing there because it's pretty cool. Yeah, thanks, Mitch. So UpSchool is a new thing. It's we, we officially kicked it off, Gavin McCormack and myself, in January this year. And uh, we've been running for nine months, coming into our 10th month now. This is the start of October. And essentially, we provide free education to the world. Purposeful education for a better tomorrow is what we're about. So... Everything that is on our platform, we write courses and we have learning on there. But I think, look, a major difference is like this is the reason why people should be engaging with this type of education or thinking about this type of education. You can get it for free off our platform or you can do it in your classroom and come up with these ideas yourself. But every single teacher I've ever spoken to wants to make learning real world and tangible. They want to make learning real world. If we can make learning real world, then we have a better chance of engaging our students. If they actually know why they're learning something, they've got to learn how to add one plus one. If we don't tell them why they need to learn one plus one, then they're going to learn, why do I need to learn one plus one? That's the most simple maths equation, obviously. But that concept doesn't change. Even as adults, we don't like learning something unless we know there's a reason to learn it. I'm not going to go to an engineer's conference and learn how to build a bridge because there's no reason for in my life to do that. But if there was a reason as a co-founder of UpSchool to be able to build a bridge, I'm sure I would learn that. So if someone could paint that story for me why I needed to do that and was able to successfully do that, then I would 
put my mind to it and try and learn it. So I think that's the first thing. It's like, how do we make learning real world? And then the next thing is, how do we make it purposeful? And our philosophy is all around making the world a better place. And we believe that if we put together education, if we put give children opportunities where they can learn something, and at the end of that, something happens in their school, in their community, in their family, that they can do with that learning to make the world a better place. So they've learned something, and they've changed their world a little bit. Then we've killed two birds with one stone, and that is what education should be. That is what education should be. It shouldn't be about... It should be less about writing something in a book and the book being folded and the book being filed away, never to be seen again. It should be about writing something in, the book, in a book, let's say a persuasive letter, and then sending that persuasive letter to every local business in your community to mount a case why you should give us $100 to put your brand on that video that you shot as part of School Influences. Because what we're going to do with that $100 is we're going to donate that to the local homeless shelter. And all of a sudden, we've written a persuasive letter, which we do in English. We've sent it out to the community. So we're engaging the wider community and we're starting to like, do, practice real business skills, get a sponsorship. And then we're going to get the money and then we're going to do something purposeful with that money to make the world a better place. So UpSchool joins those dots. Man, I love it. So Richard, you're doing some awesome things. You and Gavin, and obviously I love Gavin to death as well. If people want to get involved or be a part of it in some way, what's the best way that either getting in contact with you or going to a website or UpSchool website, what's the best way for them to get involved if they want to find out more? So upschool.co, it's as easy as that. We made a commitment, Mitch. We made a commitment that we want to provide free and quality, but free education to the world. So we also know that the people that need this education the most are quite often the people that can't pay for it. They're quite often in the most remote areas of the globe with probably the most under-evolved education systems, the education system that haven't had the money put into it that certainly Australia has and, and the US has. We didn't want to stick a paywall on this because then they don't get it. And ultimately, they need it more than what people in the US do and people in Australia do, people in the UK do. I mean, people in the UK and Australia and the US need this education because it's amazing. Like... We can join those dots, which I outlined before, in all these different ways, in like a multitude of ways, then that's amazing. But all anyone needs to do is go and create a free account at upschool.co and they're in, they get access to all of the student education. It's all free. And we're committing to make that free forever. I mean, that's our mission. We're going to absolutely do our best where we don't have to charge for the student education. So... It's as easy as that. It's, uh, you know, there's some amazing stuff there. We have a partnership with Aurora Expeditions and they took us to the Arctic, to the North Pole a few months ago and we created a unit of work from the North Pole, like from glaciers with polar bears behind us and we're talking about climate change and the children are learning about the importance of the ice caps on our world and that if you don't turn your lights off at home, or you don't recycle, or you don't do all of these local actions that you're melting the ice caps. But it's not doesn't finish there. Because if me sitting here in Australia, I can't see the ice caps. So I, why would I care if the ice caps melting? Is it going to affect my life? Well, we show them how it is going to affect their life whilst we're there. Every choice you make right here is having an impact somewhere else that you can't see. And we actually paint that picture so they can see that. And then with that knowledge, they go away in their own local community and they create change. So that's what happens on our platform. And as I said, it's all free. You just go there, create an account and you're in and you can participate. And there's some really cool stuff on there at the moment. And it's growing. Love it. Love it. Well, 
everybody listening, go get involved, go check it out, upschool.co, share the word and let more people get involved. They're doing some awesome things. So Richard, just thank you for giving up your time. I know this is probably going to break the record for our longest episode, which, hey, I'm not complaining about that whatsoever. It's been amazing content. I just want to encourage you and applaud you for what you guys are doing and wishing you guys nothing but the best as you continue to grow what you're doing at digital schools and upschool and everything else you got your hands on. And if I can be an assistance or help in any way, man, like, let me know. I know I'm across the way, but I have some connections as well. So I'd love to help you guys further your mission of what you're doing there at Upschool, man. So thank you for giving up your time today. Thanks, Mitch. Appreciate it. Thanks for being on the show. And I hope there's something in there for the people that have listened. And Mitch, it'd be amazing to do some stuff together with your school influencers initiative that you got going. We're doing the same thing, which is cool. We should join forces. Love it. Come on over to the States, man. I'll take you out for coffee and lunch and everything. (laughs) Sounds good, mate. Well, another huge shout out and a thank you to Richard for taking time and being on the podcast today. I love what he's doing. I love his heart. I love his vision of where he's wanting to go and who he's wanting to help and just wishing him nothing but the best as he continues to do just that. And I'm hoping you guys were able to take at least one thing, at least one thing from today's episode that you can take back to your school to make it better than it is right now. We went over a lot of great content today. So if you need to, of course, just re-listen to this episode, take down some notes. There was some really, really good stuff on today's episode. So Richard, thank you so much, man. And if you're school listening to this and you need help growing or finding ways to get more leads for your school, I'd love you guys to check us out online. Our website is schoolsuccessmakers.com. That's schoolsuccessmakers.com. Or if you're a school leader and you are more of a Facebook user, then please join our private Facebook group called School Success Makers. Just for school leaders, I'm personally in there and I'd love to see you in there as well. School Success Makers on Facebook. Private group just for you, school leaders. We'll be here next week with another amazing guest, as usual, on the School Success Podcast. We'll see you then.